Welcome to this presentation of First Baptist Church Logue. We're glad to have you joining us today. Our mission at FBC Logue is to bring glory to God by being disciple makers. For that purpose, we present the following resource that it may be a blessing. All right, you can grab a Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, and in case you use one of our pew Bibles, you'll find that on page 980. Last week we finished the introduction to Paul's letter to the Philippians, and we saw that he prayed that their love would continue to abound more and more, accompanied with, uh, with knowledge and all discernment, so they could approve what is excellent and live properly in anticipation of Jesus' future return. And I mentioned that the rest of the letter is going to flesh out what that looks like for our day-to-day -day lives. But before he continues down that path, Paul first wants to update the Philippians on his personal circumstances. No doubt they are concerned about how he is doing in prison in Rome. And as he explains what's going on to them this morning, we're going to be reminded that life and ministry are not about us, and, and that it's all about the gospel. And so we're in Philippians chapter 1, and we are going to pick up beginning in verse 12. Paul writes, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And so as we pick up here in verse 12, Paul begins with a triumphant declaration. And he tells the Philippians, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, of course, what has happened to him is referring to his imprisonment, along with all of the circumstances surrounding it. And I think that Paul wants to emphasize this, at least for one reason, because it would be so unexpected. I mean, Paul was arrested, at least in one sense, in order to stop the spread of the gospel. And so the fact that it has been the exact opposite is something that Paul wants to make sure the Philippians are aware of. And so naturally, the, the question raised here is, how? How has Paul's imprisonment actually served to advance the gospel instead of stopping it? Well, he gives us two ways. First, in verse 13, he says that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that his imprisonment is for Christ. Now, the imperial guard is referring to, to what was known as the praetorian guard. And the praetorian guards were the elite soldiers of the Roman Empire. Right, so these are, are the Navy SEALs and the Green Berets of the time. And the Praetorian Guards reported directly to the emperor, and among other purposes, they served as the emperor's personal bodyguards, and they functioned as the police force for the city of Rome proper, which meant that they would be responsible for guarding high-profile prisoners like Paul. So Paul would be chained to one of these guards 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And, and the, the soldiers worked in four-hour shifts, so, so every four hours, Paul would get chained to a new guard. 
Now, in the days before prisoners had TV and recreation time and, and all the other things that they have today, uh, back when you were just chained to a soldier in a room, uh, what was there to do? Right? You talked. And so the guard comes in and he you know, connects his, his arm to Paul and he says, so, what are you in for? And Paul says, well, I'm glad you asked. I, I was arrested because I was preaching the gospel. And the guard says, well, the gospel? What is that? And Paul smiles and he says, I'm glad you asked. Did you know that even though we have all rebelled against the God who created us, and even though we rightly deserve to receive his judgment, that in his grace and mercy, God sent Jesus to take the punishment that we deserve for us by dying as our substitute on the cross. And that by placing our faith in what he has done for us, we can be forgiven of our sin, and we can begin to experience life the way it was designed to be. So the, the conversation goes on, and, and then it's shift change time, and so the next guard comes in, and, and he looks at Paul, and he says, so, what are you in for? And Paul smiles, and he says, I'm glad you asked. And on and on this goes, day after day. Right, and over time, word spreads about Paul and about this Jesus that he keeps telling everyone about. So the whole imperial guard, which was close to 10,000 soldiers, has come to hear about Jesus, along with, with what Paul refers to as all the rest. Now, now, who all the rest includes is not entirely clear. Obviously, that is a big statement, and it probably for, refers at least to everyone who is involved in, in legal or political proceedings in the city of Rome. But we also know, although this is a bit of a, a spoiler, uh, but we also know that, that the gospel has reached the imperial palace as well. And so at the end of the letter, as he usually does, Paul sends greetings to the church from the people who are with him. And in chapter 4, verses 22, he sends greetings to the Philippians, especially from those in Caesar's household. And so whether the emperor realizes it or not, some of the people who are nearest and dearest to him have come to believe the gospel. And so uh, the, the gospel message that was supposed to be stopped by Paul's imprisonment has actually broken into new territory because of it. And so I want to pause for a moment here because Paul is convinced of something that I'm not so sure that you and I are always convinced of. And that is that life is not about us. It's not about us. If you can remember back to when we went through the book of Acts, and in chapters 21 through 28, you remember everything that Paul has been through over the last several years. He was arrested in Jerusalem after being beaten within an inch of his life. And then he spent a couple years in prison in Caesarea because of the incompetence and the cowardice of the governor there. He endured a, a two-week-long storm at sea and ended up being shipwrecked at Malta, where then he was bitten by a snake. And, and now he's sitting in prison in Rome, waiting to stand trial before the emperor. Right, so it hasn't exactly been a sunny season of life for Paul over the last several years. And yet, his focus is simply on how it has ultimately led to the expansion of the gospel. We, on the other hand, 
we experience very minor inconveniences in life. And we throw our hands up into the air and we ask, why me? Right? Our focus tends to be on what's happening to us and whether or not we like it. And because of that, I fear that we often miss out on possible opportunities to advance the gospel through our circumstances. And so think about, to use Paul's terminology here, what has happened to you? Where do you live? Where do you work? Where do you go frequently? What places do you visit frequently? You see, I want to challenge you with the idea that God has placed you where you are, when you are there, so that you have opportunities to advance the gospel through the people that you come into contact with. You see, Paul is, is in prison, and, and yes, that stinks. But the reality is that his imprisonment has given him access to a significant group of people that he would never have come into contact with otherwise. And because he knows that life is not about him, he's able to take advantage of the opportunity by proclaiming the gospel instead of moping around in self-pity because he's so self-preoccupied. And so, who are your neighbors? Who are your co-workers? Who are the people that you see consistently at the store or at the gym or at the restaurants that you like to go to? If we are disciples of Jesus, then we need to understand that he is going to providentially move and position us to be able to make disciples, to spread and advance the gospel through the people that he places around us. We have to have the right perspective in order to take advantage of that. Now, the second way that the gospel has advanced through Paul's imprisonment is found in verse 14. And that is in the, the fact that the other Christians in Rome have become bolder and begun to share the gospel more themselves. So, so what you see is Paul's imprisonment has actually inspired the other believers in Rome to, to begin sharing the gospel also. And, and so we're reminded here that sometimes it only takes one person doing something that's difficult to inspire other people to do the same. I've mentioned before how much I enjoy Band of Brothers, the, the miniseries about Easy Company during World War II. And if you've, if you've watched it, then you'll remember that early on, Easy Company walks into a German ambush. Right? There is, there's gunfire and tank shells flying all over the place. And so everybody ducks down into the ditches along the side of the road for cover. Now, now Easy Company is supposed to be moving forward to take this town. And, and the officers are, are calling them to get up, move forward, we've got to go. But nobody's doing anything because it is, it is way too dangerous. They're, they're staying put. But eventually, one soldier gets up. He stands up, and he charges into the enemy fire. And when all the rest of the soldiers see him get up and charge into battle, they're not about to allow their brother to go into this alone. And so they get up, and they follow him into battle. And so the courage of this one soldier inspires the whole rest of the group to, to do what they need to do and get into the fight. And that same principle is here as well. Being a Christian in the Roman Empire was dangerous. 
trying to convince other people to become a Christian in the Roman Empire was even more dangerous. But as these Roman believers watched Paul suffering for the gospel in prison, they were inspired by him. And it overcame their fear, and they became bolder in sharing it themselves. And so even more people are hearing the gospel because of Paul's imprisonment. Some of you may be familiar with the story of Jim Elliott. Back in the 1950s, he and four of his teammates were killed by a a group of Indians in Ecuador that they were trying to reach with the gospel. And so they, they hadn't been there for very long. They hadn't even had a chance to talk with these people before they were attacked and killed. And so at first glance, their mission might seem like a failure. I mean, they, they died for nothing. Nothing came of it. But in actuality, once the news of their death arrived back in the States, hundreds, hundreds of people answered the call to foreign missions because they were inspired by this team. Right, the, the faithfulness of these missionaries inspired a gospel force that was exponentially larger than, than their own had been. It was just five of them. And because of them, hundreds and hundreds of people answered the call to missions that impacted the world for the next 50 years. And while granted our personal experiences may not be that extreme, don't ever underestimate how your simple acts of faithfulness could inspire someone else to do the same. I I remember when I was in seminary, I served as an intern at our church in Fort Worth, and so one of the things that meant is that my pastor and I would go out once a month, and we'd either get lunch together or we'd get coffee, and we'd talk. We'd talk about life, we'd talk about the Bible, ministry, sports, just whatever. And one time we were out together, and there were dividers in between each of the tables, and I, I have no idea what we were talking about at the time, but all of a sudden there was a face right here. And so we turned and looked, and and it was this lady. And she said, I'm I'm so sorry to interrupt, but I just want to tell you how awesome I think it is for you two to be openly discussing the Lord in a public place. She said, I often want to be more open about my faith, but I'm I'm always intimidated about what people might think about me. But but seeing you two here talking about the Lord has, has inspired me. And so from now on, I'm going to be more open about my faith. Now, we had absolutely no idea anybody was listening to our conversation. And I have no idea where that lady went from that point on. But it was just a small reminder in that moment that even small acts of faithfulness in following the Lord can have an impact that inspires others to do the same. And so to summarize this opening section... Once again, we are seeing that God takes the very things that are designed to stop the gospel, and he uses them instead as the very means of advancing it even further than ever before. Because of Paul's faithfulness in all circumstances, the ministry in Rome has multiplied, and the gospel continues to advance. The only unfortunate thing in all of this is that even good things can be done for the wrong purposes, and we're going to see that as we move into verse 15. Verse 15, he says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, 
Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. And so while it's true that many of the Romans are actively sharing the gospel now, beginning in verse 15, Paul reveals that not all of them are doing it with the right motivations. We see that some of them are actually doing it out of envy and rivalry. Some of them are are doing it, they're they're preaching Christ out of selfish ambition and, and even in an attempt to hurt Paul. So what on earth is going on here? Well, Paul doesn't spell it out exactly, but based on what we see, we can say a couple of things. First of all, these are not false teachers, right? Paul has absolutely no patience for people who twist the truth of God's word and lead people away from him. But that's not the case here. Right? These people are preaching the true gospel. The problem is that they are doing the right thing with the wrong motivations. And that leads then to the second thing that we can say, which is that for some reason, these people see Paul as competition. Right? That the words envy and rivalry refer to jealousy over someone else's success or their status. And and selfish ambition indicates a a desire to be first or or, or famous. And so trying to piece this together in a way that makes sense, it's possible, we don't know, but it's possible that perhaps some of the leaders in the church at Rome uh, became jealous because they lost popularity once Paul came to town. So if you remember back to Acts, you'll, you'll remember that while Paul was imprisoned, he was allowed to stay in a place of his own. He was allowed to have visitors come to him, and so he invited anybody who wanted to, to to come and to visit and talk. And so it may be that many of the Roman believers who previously used to go to other leaders in the church to, to learn or for counsel are now going to Paul, and this has made some of the other leaders jealous. To paraphrase Eugene Peterson, one of the temptations for ministry leaders is that being noticed and highly regarded by others can quickly become a desire to be noticed and highly regarded by others. And so if if Paul's perspective, if if Paul's presence has put a dent into that, then some of these Roman leaders' actions in preaching the gospel became a way, a a jealous attempt to regain their following. On the other hand, it's also possible that, that some of the people that Paul corrected in his letter to the Romans did not respond so well to it. Now they're actively trying to damage Paul's ministry as they build their own platform. Now it's unclear whether or not they directly attacked Paul in this process, uh, but one way or another it's obvious to him that their intentions are malicious. And so not only is Paul in a difficult position, but some of the very people who, who should be supporting and assisting him are instead looking to put salt in his wounds. And yet, as undesirable and as hurtful as that must have been, look at what he says in verse 18. He asks, what then? In other words, so what if they do that? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. You see, at the the end of the day, whatever the motivations of these particular preachers of the gospel were, the true gospel is still being shared. And Paul rejoices in that reality. And that's because he is convinced that ministry is not about him. Right? He doesn't have to be the one preaching the gospel. He doesn't have to be popular. As long as the gospel, the true gospel, is going out, 
That's all that matters. Ministry is not about him. And I want to pause for a moment here as well. If all of this sounds weird to you, I can't believe these people would do a thing like that. Mm, I can. I can, because the truth is that some of the most competitive places in the world are churches. I've seen it, and probably some of you have seen it as well. You see, what, what starts off as a good and genuine desire to reach people for the gospel and to make disciples of all nations can quickly evolve into a desire that we do it better than everybody else. Uh, and the, the children's ministry at the, the church across town starts booming, and, and the church over here says, well, guess it's time to upgrade our playground facilities. Right? Or, or the, the church across town starts seeing a lot of people come in and getting involved, and so the church over here opens up a coffee bar. Right? And there's just this, this back and forth. Instead of rejoicing that the gospel is advancing, there's instead a temptation to be upset because it's not happening here at our church. And, and so there's a temptation to up the ante so that people will want to come to our church instead of going over there. To be completely honest, I've seen this in myself at times. Uh, we had a, a family uh, some time ago who, who became, uh, they were looking for a church home. They became frequent long-term attenders. And, and, and it was great. They, they seemed very like-minded with us. There was plenty of potential for them to plug in uh, and work with us. But then over time, things started getting kind of weird. We'd be talking, and, and then they'd say something like, well, if we decide to join and become members here at Loeb, then this and that. But if we join this other church over here, then, then this and that. And so this, this kind of started coming into our conversations. And at one point, I caught myself mid-sentence, trying to make an argument for why they should come to our church instead of going to this other church. And, and I, I realized that in my heart, I was beginning to compete with a sister church, a, a true church. They're good folks. I know their pastor. He's a solid guy. Anybody could go to that church and learn to follow Jesus and be just fine. And yet in my heart, I realized that I was beginning to compete. It hit me right between the eyes. And, and I realized I can't do this anymore. And so I had to pull back. I'm not engaging on that level anymore. We can't have those conversations. So I pulled back. They ended up going to the other church where I, I trust they are working for the kingdom. And I learned, I hope, a valuable lesson. Church, we've been commissioned to make disciples of all nations. And we absolutely want to do that to the very best of our ability. We want to do that well. But if, in God's providence... Revival breaks out at the church across the street, we should rejoice. If the church or the youth ministries at the church across the street are booming, then we should cheer them on. Because ultimately, we know that we are all on the same team. Ministry is not about us. We should be happy and, and excited that the gospel is advancing. Even as brothers turned against Paul, which had to be hurtful for him, he recognized that the gospel, whatever the motivations of the preacher, the true gospel was moving forward, and he rejoiced in that reality because he knew that ministry was not about him. And so as we look at Paul's example this morning, we need to remember 
that life and ministry are not about us. Our circumstances in life aren't simply occasions for us to be happy or dissatisfied. They are opportunities for us to reach people who we would never have come into contact with otherwise. And we need to recognize that our faithfulness, perhaps especially in difficult times like Paul, have great potential to inspire other people to faithfulness as well. And it doesn't matter if we get the credit or if we become popular or if people think that we're so wonderful. If the gospel is advancing, then we should rejoice because that is what it's all about. So may that be true for us as individuals and as a church family. Let's pray together.